You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about food allergy-related anxiety. To learn more about this topic, I have two expert guests, Dr. J.P. Center and Megan Lewis. Let me first introduce Megan Lewis, who is a pediatric nurse practitioner who has practiced in the CHOP Division of Allergy and Immunology for the past 13 years. She attended the University of Virginia for both her undergraduate and master's degrees. Following graduate school, she completed a fellowship in neurodevelopmental disabilities at CHOP. She received the level of Clinician Leader Master, the highest level for advanced practice providers at CHOP in the inaugural year. She has been involved in clinical trials as well as seeing patients in the allergy clinic. She's helped lead the Food Allergy Center in the expansion of the Food Challenge Program, the development and launch of the Multi-Food Oral Immunotherapy Program, as well as the Food Allergy Bravery Clinic. She has spoken locally and nationally on topics related to allergic disease, and we are so lucky to learn from her today. So welcome, Megan Lewis. Thank you for having me, Katie. And our second guest is Dr. J.P. Center. J.P. is a third-year pediatrics resident at CHOP with a special interest in food allergies and asthma who plans to pursue fellowship training in allergy immunology in the future. He received his medical degree from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and a master's in public health from Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. During his MPH, he concentrated in child and adolescent health with a focus in environmental health and its impact on atopic disease. He has continued this work at CHOP with ongoing projects focusing on asthma, allergic rhinitis, and food allergies. He has special interests in the intersection of behavioral health with the management of food allergies and asthma, as well as disparities in the prevalence of atopic disease and how policy can mitigate these inequities. We are all excited to learn from him today, so please welcome Dr. Center. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you both about this topic and hear both of your perspectives on it because... We all know how common food allergies are. In fact, I've seen estimates that nearly 8% of U.S. children have a food allergy, and that is just unbelievable how many of my patients that impacts. Something I learned more recently, though, is that anxiety is common in children with food allergies. And now that I know this, it makes a lot of sense about why you would worry if you had a food allergy about an accidental ingestion, or you might fear having anaphylaxis, especially if you've had it before. And so it makes sense that anxiety would be common in kids with food allergies, but I'm wondering how common is anxiety comorbid with food allergies? Yeah, I, Katie, I think this is a, a really great place to start. And it's something I don't think I was as familiar with either when I first started studying and helping treat patients with food allergies as a resident. But I think it's much more common than we, we appreciate. And in doing some research beforehand, you know, there are several reports in the literature that estimate Roughly around 5 to 7% of children with food allergies actually meet criteria for a clinical diagnosis of anxiety. But I honestly think this number probably underestimates the true burden of this problem. And in fact, one of the reviews I came across that was published in the journal Pediatric Allergy and Immunology reviewed about 100 papers or so. And, and there's this idea, there's this much broader encompassing idea of 
food allergy-related distress. And I think that really gets at a lot of the general feelings that children and teens with food allergies have on a much more common basis. You know, things like separation anxiety from a parent or caregiver who can protect them, or panic attacks in places like the cafeteria at school or restaurants, you know, or just this sense of this heightened vigilance at all times, which certainly can progress to something like generalized anxiety disorder. And it seems to be much more common in those children who've had a history of anaphylaxis or a serious food reaction. And then some of those children may even meet the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder given their prolonged hypervigilance and fear following their experience of anaphylaxis. So it's certainly a very common problem that I think is becoming more and more prevalent and more and more aware to providers. Dr. Center, it's not surprising to me that this goes under-recognized sometimes because we know that anxiety in general is often underdiagnosed. So it makes sense that it would also probably be under-recognized and underdiagnosed in this population. So that's why I'm so glad that you both are teaching us more about it today so we can increase awareness. I completely agree. I think Dr. Sentner did a great job discussing this. And really, the prior studies are really mixed on prevalence of anxiety in this population. Some of the challenges is that People aren't using a consistent measure to identify the frequency of anxiety in this population. And that was one of our goals to better care for patients with food allergies at CHOP was to kind of identify patients who are suffering maybe silently with medically unnecessary anxiety. And in this population, mild to moderate levels are helpful for maintaining safety, like checking labels before you eat a new food. But higher levels can be problematic and unnecessary and keep you from participating in things that are safe enough and probably really fun. And so when people have higher levels of anxiety, families and children overestimate the risk of accidental cross-contamination, the risk of a fatal reaction, and their ability to manage the reaction. So I think while we continue to learn about the prevalence rates, it's such an important topic. And so can you both talk a little bit more about the impact that having a food allergy might have on a patient's quality of life? Yeah, I'll get started with that one, Dr. Lockwood. I think I have learned so much from my patients over the years, but when you stop and think about it, food is everywhere. It is at every holiday, it is at every milestone event, and every cultural celebration. And helping families navigate this safely is just so important. Quality of life has been measured across the globe for food allergy. And consistently, families with food allergy rank a worse quality of life than people with other chronic illnesses of childhood like diabetes. People don't send their children to school because of their food allergy. An older study found that 10% of people didn't send their kids to school because of it. People with food allergy are twice as likely to get bullied than their peers, a study from Italy found. And I think just being sensitive to that is a, a really important piece. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I I sort of try to imagine all of the important encounters and experiences that children and families have with food. Um, as was mentioned, you know, it's in the school lunch, it's in the cafeteria, it's at birthday parties and sleepovers, you know, trick-or-treating at Halloween or cultural celebrations that really just have to be adjusted or just foregone because of, of the impact of allergies. And I think also not only has a huge impact on the quality of life of the child suffering from the allergy, but also their siblings, their parents, everyone has to, the whole family unit has to adjust and and accommodate this. So it can be really difficult for some people. And I was also interested to find out, I was 
reading some studies that actually look at the type of food allergy and how this relates to quality of life. And certainly all of them have a big impact. But many studies show that particularly milk and egg allergies tend to be more burdensome to families. And and I think this makes sense to me too, given how ubiquitous milk and egg are in so, so many foods to compare to some of the other common allergens like peanuts and tree nuts and and shellfish and so on. And simply put, I think this just means that the more pervasive that fear is, that anxiety is, the more it really affects the quality of life. Mm -hmm. You both made some great points there just about how integral food is to many of our social celebrations and again, how it impacts the family as a unit and not just the child. We've been talking a lot about food allergies and anxiety in terms of accidental ingestions of an allergen and reactions to an allergen. But Dr. Center, I know you've had some experience in how anxiety can impact food allergy treatment, specifically in oral immunotherapy. So can you tell us more about how you see anxiety impacting treatment in your patients? Sure. Yeah. And Megan, please feel free to step in because I know you work closely with the oral immunotherapy program, but I'm glad you brought this up. It's a really interesting and difficult problem. And I think I'll back up a little bit first and just briefly explain oral immunotherapy, um, which is one of many evidence-based methods to help treat children with food allergies and really desensitize allergic children to their particular food allergen. And essentially, over the course of several weeks, patients are exposed to gradually higher and higher doses of an allergen so that their body can physiologically accommodate to this exposure without actually having a severe allergic reaction. So peanut oral immunotherapy, for example, patients start out by ingesting a tiny amount of peanut powder, a very tiny amount every day for about a couple of weeks. And then this dose is gradually increased until reaching the equivalent of about one peanut. And now they have to take this every single day so that their body stays desensitized to this allergen. And for peanut, for example, the goal is really not to reintroduce the food into the child's life, but rather stave off the risk of a serious reaction or anaphylaxis. And that being said, oral immunotherapy is not perfect, and it's not a panacea for all children with food allergies. It works really well, but some children do show signs of anxiety early on in the process, given that they are quite literally required to ingest their allergen every day, and that can be very scary for some children. You know, we watch them in clinic when they get their first dose and every time they increase their dosage, but it can still be, you know, uh, fearful for some patients and any trouble with compliance can certainly affect the efficacy of this treatment. And then another known side effect that I find interesting is something called eosinophilic esophagitis or EOE, and this happens in a small percentage of cases, but it's basically allergic inflammation of the esophagus and this can cause nausea and heartburn and dysphagia or trouble swallowing and These symptoms, nausea, heartburn, and dysphagia, are also sometimes common somatic manifestations of anxiety. And then EOE itself can also cause anxiety around, you know, taking the daily dose of the allergen. So honestly, it can be very hard to untangle the two sometimes. And there's patients for whom we see a complicated interplay of these side effects of oral immunotherapy. And so really at this point, we often recommend stopping treatment. But I will say for many families, the fear of anaphylaxis is a much more powerful motivator. And many patients and families put up with these symptoms, these daily symptoms, just to avoid the stronger fear, which is anaphylaxis and, you know, rushing to the emergency room and and having kind of a serious food reaction. And I will say 
altogether, this really may ultimately not be sustainable for the child's own mental health. So I think my big takeaway is that it's really important to form multidisciplinary care teams when you're undergoing oral immunotherapy or other types of immunotherapy for food allergens. And these care teams really should include, you know, counselors and therapists and psychologists. And it's very important to discuss these risks with families beforehand and have honest discussions so that the children can be supported in the best way possible. Dr. Center, I think, brings up some really great points. Oral immunotherapy has been available in clinical trials for a long time. And we had the opportunity to launch this multiple food oral desensitization program at CHOP. And when we wrote the protocol, we made it so that people could desensitize up to five foods at once. And just as he said, this is a major cognitive shift for people who were told to avoid food for a really long period of their life. And now we're asking them to consume it every day. There's lots of requirements with OIT. And I think when we wrote the protocol, we were so excited to be able to move this into the clinical arena from clinical trials to actually being able to treat patients in clinic. I don't think we were as prepared for the anxiety that we would see in patients. And so we have started screening all patients for anxiety before they enroll in OIT. And if they do have elevated levels of anxiety, we have them work with our food allergy bravery clinic, which I hope we have time to discuss in a little bit. And it's a way to help treat anxiety. And to me, the ultimate bravery challenge is to actually enroll in OIT and consume your allergens every day. As Dr. Center mentioned, there's lots of requirements with OIT. You have to consume it every day. You have to take a full meal before you take your dose. You have to do calm activities for two hours after the dose. And so I think that could make anyone anxious, right? There, there's a risk because you're consuming something you're allergic to. So a sensitivity to families doing OIT is definitely something we have learned as clinicians as we've been rolling this project out. Now, the thing that I'm thinking about as you are both talking about the way that we desensitize our body to allergens is to gradually increase the exposure to it. That's similar to the way that we treat anxiety, which is exposure therapy and kind of working up to the thing that you fear most. And so it's something that I think could complicate treating food-based anxiety, because if you have to avoid the food, how do you handle approaching the anxiety about that food allergen. So I'm just wondering what treating anxiety that's food-based looks like. We know that the absolute best treatment for pediatric anxiety disorders is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. There's over 30 really well-controlled trials demonstrating its benefit. And good CBT should be exposure-based. And there's been good clinical evidence that shows that Patients benefit from educational sessions and proximity exposures, for instance, having the allergen close by. In the CHOP CBT-based model, we start exposures kind of based on the patient's needs and gradually work up to one of the biggest ones is having them touch their allergen, wash their hands, and then eat something with those hands to really prove to them and give them the confidence that if there's peanut butter on the lunch table, for instance, they can calmly go to the bathroom and wash their hands and return to lunch without it having ruined their day. And some people would probably like get very uncomfortable with the thought of touching their allergen, but it really does create productive anxiety and improves learning when we do these exposures. And it's amazing how fast people get better with exposure therapy. Like you mentioned, though, that with food allergy, there is the additional complexity as anxiety can mimic symptoms of anaphylaxis. 
You know, you can have chest tightness, nausea, vomiting, flushing, throat discomfort. All those things can occur with both an allergic reaction and with anxiety. And so I work with families to help them practice tolerating the symptoms of anxiety in situations that we know are safe enough that will not cause them to react. And you both touched on the fact that some anxiety about food allergens is to be expected and in some ways protective, right, to keep these kids from accidentally ingesting an allergen. And it can be challenging to tease apart what might be mild, developmentally appropriate anxiety about this allergy versus when it crosses over to becoming pathologic. So I understand that some researchers at CHOP developed a new scale specifically to measure this type of anxiety called the scale of food allergy anxiety. I believe it's also known as the SOFA. Tell us more about how this is used. Yes, thank you. The SOFA was established. The primary author was Dr. Catherine Dalsgaard, who was formerly at CHOP. She and I and other colleagues at CHOP worked together to develop this screening measure. And so the SOFA is a free tool that's available on the CHOP website. If you search SOFA, it has two A's at the end. It is available for download and a scoring guide is included. And it's a tool that's helpful for identifying avoidance behaviors around their allergy. For instance, one of the questions asks parents to rank their discomfort of people consuming their allergens around them and the frequency that it bothers them. And so a score is established. And if it's elevated, we recommend they seek some treatment for their food allergy. And we feel so confident in this measure that we now screen all patients annually with food allergy using the SOFA to identify people who are suffering silently or don't even realize that they don't have to engage in some of these avoidance behaviors. And I really think it helps springboard the conversation for people that might not feel comfortable bringing up some of their concerns. It's great that you've developed a tool for that, and I love that you've made it available. I'm also wondering for people who are listening and thinking about having a patient like this in their clinic, if you can give us some pearls about how you talk to children with food allergies about anxiety and what type of anticipatory guidance you might be giving children and families to help protect against them developing anxiety or mitigating some mild anxiety that they already have. Yeah, for me, I think... The most important thing I first have to do is to just normalize that anxiety and fear are real problems and are likely going to occur. It sounds really simple, but I think just opening that up and addressing it and being very transparent about it helps to lay the groundwork with families and patients so that they can feel comfortable talking about it. You know, I I like to ask kind of basic questions, you know, what honestly scares you the most about this? What worries you the most about this? Is it that You want to know how to use an EpiPen so you feel comfortable with that. Or is it that you're worried when they go to school that someone at school knows how to use the EpiPen if they need it? Or when they go to their soccer game that the snacks at the soccer game won't have peanuts in them and, you know, so on and so forth. And I think really honing in on what are the fears and the very specific fears that these patients and families have so that you can tailor your approach and and sort of develop plans for families to feel confident and comfortable in those situations if they're encountered with them. And what's interesting is I found in a lot of studies and a lot of research actually suggests that child stress and child fear can sometimes be a manifestation or an extension of the distress communicated by their caregivers. You know, in other words, the child may be scared because their parent is scared. 
And I think that's really telling, and it really behooves pediatricians and clinicians to equip the parents with the right tools to feel calm and ready. Because if you kind of take that top-down approach sometimes, when the parents feel calm and when they feel equipped and, and have the tools and knowledge to approach a situation, whatever that might be, then the child, hopefully by extension, will feel that calm as well. Dr. Center, I couldn't agree more. The children look towards the parents for their reaction. You know, there's so much to absorb when someone's first diagnosed in clinic with a food allergy. We actually started a new diagnosis parent education night. So patients can leave clinic and kind of formulate their questions. It's a bi-monthly virtual session. We invite families to come and we discuss navigating food labels, what to do about precautionary labels, debunking myths around food allergy and kind of how to manage those reactions and that worry about using that epinephrine auto-injector. And then hopefully with better education and foundation, there'll be less anxiety later in the families and children. What a great resource, Megan. And also I know you mentioned a food allergy bravery clinic. Now at CHOP specifically for patients with food allergy related anxiety. So can you tell us more about the model of this clinic and how it's been working? Absolutely. It's something I'm very excited about. To our knowledge, I believe this is the first specific food allergy treatment model for anxiety for food allergy. And it is a brief treatment focused on helping the families and patients identify what is safe enough. And so we complete a really thorough intake session and establish goals for treatment. Dr. Center mentioned having the child go back to eating in the cafeteria. Sometimes parents don't even know the child has not eaten in the cafeteria. And based on the patient's difficulties, we begin with exposures at the first session. So I spend time talking about education around food allergy and debunking the myths like airborne allergy and and what is the risk of casual contact. Some patients start by smelling peanut butter a few sniffs multiple times in a row. We repeat the exposure together and then patients are given homework to continue the exposures at home daily. And it's a variety of exposures with a variety of allergens. If they're allergic to peanuts, it's peanut butter, it's the nuts themselves, like having a closed container on the dinner table while they eat or trying a new food from the grocery store, and really working to official term is cognitive restructuring, and that we want science and data to guide their behaviors and not emotions and habit. We launched the Food Allergy Bravery Clinic initially as a group treatment model with one of our psychologists. And then because of the pandemic, we shifted to a virtual model. We were able to obtain some data from those initial pilot treatment groups and recently were published that it did show that it is working for patients. Generalized anxiety scores went down, the SOFA scores decreased. And then as a way to increase access, we have shifted our model to be nurse practitioner led and individual sessions with patients. And so I'm hopeful that we can gather the data to have just as good validity with the individual treatment sessions, which I think from my clinical perspective, patients are doing much better after this brief treatment measure. What a great resource for our patients at CHOP. So thank you for sharing that with us. And hopefully now more people will know about it and can refer to that. Now, we've talked a lot about anxiety, but I just want to acknowledge before we wrap up that anxiety is not the only mental health concern for children with food allergies. So, Dr. Center, can you share what are some of the other comorbidities that you see in patients with food allergies? Yeah, thank you for asking that, because I think it's certainly true that there is a higher prevalence of certain other mental health concerns in patients with food allergies beyond anxiety. And 
you know, first there are the conditions that I would consider under the same umbrella as anxiety. You know, I mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder earlier, particularly in those patients with a history of anaphylaxis. It can certainly occur, and it's something that has been reported. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD, has also been reported and can be seen sort of as an extension of that need for control over one's environment and protection from external fears. And honestly, what I've seen more often in my patients in residency, beyond just anxiety disorders, I've also seen a higher risk of things like eating disorders. Some patients develop anorexia nervosa, and others more often develop something called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which goes by the acronym ARFID. And this is recognized by the DSM-5 as a pathological level of food avoidance or restriction, you know, secondary to a conditioned negative response, which often is that serious food reaction or experience of anaphylaxis. And patients with ARFID often become malnourished because they restrict their food intake so much that they lose too much weight and then develop associated symptoms. So this is something that is certainly troubling and and has been reported and seen. And then finally, Megan mentioned earlier that food allergy bullying is also unfortunately common. You know, children are often unfairly targeted for their differences, especially because it's targeted around lunchtime or other, you know, encounters where food is common. And it's certainly a troubling reality and something many patient advocate groups I know are working on and school districts are working on. And so all in all, there are a host of other concerns that we should be cognizant of and and screening for. And ultimately, I'm, I'm very grateful for individuals like Megan who have been trailblazers in this area and really bringing us, making us aware of this and having, you know, screening tools and education around this that I think all pediatricians and clinicians can benefit from. Yes, thank you for highlighting all of those and calling attention to some of those as well. Well, we've covered a lot in this podcast episode, and so I want you each to Give us some takeaway messages of what you would want primary care pediatricians to know about food allergy-related anxiety the most. I hope people learn about the SOFA and maybe find a way to incorporate it into their practice or if they use an electronic health record to screen patients if you feel like they are having some avoidance behaviors that are unnecessary. Really a sensitivity to the difficulties that families with food allergy face and not letting people suffer alone in silence. And if you notice it, to send them back to allergy for more education and to challenge that anxious thinking about what is the actual risk of eating in the cafeteria or going out to a restaurant, really just helping families to walk through their concerns. Yeah, I agree. And I think my biggest takeaway, especially in the general pediatrician role, is just to know that food allergy-related anxiety and food allergy-related distress exists. And And it's especially important for those who've had a history of anaphylaxis. You know, sometimes I reflect when we encounter a patient in our clinics or in the hospital that have a history of food allergy, we sort of have a very routine way to approach it. You know, we make sure, do you have an active epinephrine auto-injector? Do you have a way to avoid this food? Does your child know how to avoid this food? We sort of have our routine list of questions. And I think we really have to build into that, you know, a way to screen for mental health concerns and to build into our anticipatory guidance and our counseling around food allergies, these questions around anxiety and and other, you know, mental health considerations. Uh, Put it into your smart phrases, put it into your mental framework for these children, just so you can really holistically support them as a primary care clinician, as a hospitalist, as any pediatrician who encounters someone with a food allergy. 
Well, thank you both so much for teaching me more about food allergy-related anxiety, and thank you for all of the resources that you shared with us today. We now know more about the SOFA, the Food Allergy Bravery Clinic, and of course, we always know and love our division of allergy at CHOP. Thank you both so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat. 